Husky fans! This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And I think that qualifies today, uh, certainly at least for one of the games we're going to discuss. So uh, Tim Fontenot is here with me, and boy, has UConn had a week. Um, a roller coaster week, uh, a lot of uh, highs, uh, some pretty nasty lows, but overall, definitely uh, a very eventful week, and I think one that ultimately is gonna, you know, we're gonna remember as a good thing for the time, you know, all, all going forward. So, uh, Tim, uh, first things first, how you doing, and uh, how do you feel about UConn basketball right now? <laughs> well, thanks for having me back, Mac. Um, I feel pretty good. It's uh... You know, it, the week definitely could have started better. That's uh, that's an understatement there. But you know, this weekend, that that game on Saturday was massive. Just a just a fantastic win, an unbelievable way to grind that out. Um, you know, I was I the game started and I was ready for disaster. So between that and you know, there's a phone call that we're waiting to hear about tonight. So. Um, there's a lot of good vibes right now. Yeah, so uh, just so for everybody who may be wondering, so we're going to primarily talk about UConn men's basketball's win over Xavier on Saturday, which was badly needed and really was frankly awesome. Just an incredible game. And uh, a little bit later on, we're also going to talk about Paige Beckers and her heroic performance against South Carolina last week, since that's uh, we didn't get a chance to touch on that uh, when I had uh, Kevin from the Husky Ticket Project on. Uh, but you know, just uh, you know, between those two, ga- you know, those two games and just that whole that whole thing, um, you know, really good stuff. Uh, but what Tim was just referring to on the um, uh, the what would you say? I guess J- James Booknight is seeing his surgeon uh, probably as we speak. We're recording this on uh, Monday night, uh, P- February fifteenth, about seven fifteen or so. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on Twitter just in case the news breaks while we're recording. But for now, we do not know if he's going to play against Providence uh, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday. Um, you know, you guys might be hearing this uh, right before that game starts. So, um, you know, hopefully James, uh, you know, Book Knight's playing, but we don't know. So we're going to, for now, operate on the assumption that he won't. But if uh, that turns out not to be the case and we find out, we will be sure to let you all know. So anyway, uh, the good news is uh, we do know that a cook, a cook, Isaiah Whaley and Tyrese Martin will all be available for the Providence game. And that's pretty sweet because uh, all those guys played on Saturday and they looked really good. So just uh, yeah. So, Tim, I guess why don't we just start with that Xavier game? Because you know, they get off to a terrible start. It really feels like UConn's in big trouble. And then they just come back. They first, they tie it up. Then they kind of take control. And then the second half, they just, they won the game just for better or worse. They, they got it done. So, you know, what was your experience like watching this game and, uh, you know, just seeing it play out the way it did? Uh, definitely went in feeling a bit pessimistic, especially after what happened against Providence. And then, you know, nothing in those first five or six minutes did anything to alleviate that concern. I was ready for it to be a disaster, given the way the game started. They were they couldn't make a shot, and then they just let Xavier have everything. I mean, you can't leave Fremantle and Conkle wide open, you know, from three. I mean, they were just going to get torched. Xavier was going to hit everything. UConn wasn't hitting anything. So, thank goodness... Dan Hurley adjusted. He realized, I think, finally for a lot of people, that what what they were trying to do was not working. And so they decided they need to play faster. And I think that alone was a huge 
difference in this team from those first five minutes to the last 35 was they decided to play a much faster tempo, get up, get up and down the court because they've realized they don't really have a guy that they can run the offense through. You know, Andre Jackson's really starting to step up and obviously getting the ball down low to Sonogo is great, but you know, with Book Knight out there, there's not a guy that you can really run the offense through or to. So they just need to use their athleticism. They need to capitalize on their solid defense and get out there, get some fast break points and really just push the tempo against a team that hadn't played in nearly a month. Yeah, I mean, Xavier did not look like a team that was coming off its third COVID pause. Uh, they no. they were they looked fantastic, and they started off just great. Um, Fremantle is an unbelievable player. I mean, I think I think No Escalators said something to the effect on Twitter of being like, you know, he could be like, you know, one of my five most hated Big East players, and that's like the highest compliment. And I see it. I mean, he's a handful. Like he scored thirty points and had fifteen rebounds, played you know thirty seven minutes, and was just a problem. And you know what's incredible is that like later on we're going to talk about how we thought Isaiah Whaley had a really good defensive performance against him and you look at you know he had 30 points and 15 rebounds and that just like it could have been so much worse than that like he, he was shooting and just playing in a way where if he had scored 45 points like would you have been shocked like he was crazy that game no absolutely not and you know I did see that same tweet and I responded by saying that he gave off some I I went back and I saw that a couple people actually said this during the game too. He gave off a really big Joe Alexander vibe for those who remember the guy from West Virginia when West Virginia was really good in the Big East. Um, that's who he reminded me of. I mean, he was fantastic. And just, it looked like he couldn't miss. It looked like he could do no wrong. And <laughs> unfortunately for the rest of the Big East, they get two more seasons of watching Zach Fremantle do that. But that's a solid team that, you know, it wasn't a team that's at full strength either. And, you know, for all the for all the COVID pauses they've had and all the issues that have come up through the program all season, you know, they went into that game 11-2. and two. Like, they, they weren't really, like, this is this team is no joke. So even with, even not at full strength, even with all the pauses they've had, this was always going to be a tough game, especially with guys like that, because this team can shoot the ball. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think it was just especially important for UConn to get this win because, you know, you look at their Big East performances and for the most part, their wins had been against the lower kind of, you know, bottom feeders in the conference. You know, you play Seton Hall and you lose and you play Providence who and their record says that they're down at the bottom. But like in talent wise, they're clearly a top like five team in the conference and you lose to them. And ultimately, it wasn't really that close either. So to, to go into to go into Xavier and you know Xavier is clearly one of the top teams in the conference. So to go on the road and to pick up that win was badly needed and it really kind of shows that UConn is capable of getting a win like that without Book Knight. And uh, you know that's big because up until now what their what was their biggest uh you know tournament resume builder I guess was I mean USC is like I think they're number 12 in Ken Palm now so having they that are, win yeah. was huge. But it's not enough on its own. You need to build a, a resume beyond just that. So, you know, just uh, getting that was huge. And just to win the way they did, they played fast. They played physical. They were creative. They, they pretty much did everything they haven't done in the last month. So right. I think that needs a good place to start then. We need to talk about RJ Cole because I think yes. when RJ Cole transferred to UConn and we see these numbers he's putting up at Howard, we have this idea that he's going to be this like – this awesome, you know, bucket scoring monster. And when he 
you know, first started playing this year, he, he wasn't really that. He was, you know, you could tell he was a quality player, but he, he, he wasn't producing at a level that made you think, oh, wow, this guy is going to be a star. And what you saw on Saturday was, I think, the player that most of us expected to get when he, you know, transferred because he was awesome. You know, 24 points. He shot seven for 14 from the field, five for seven from three, five for six at the line, seven assists, one turnover. And he held Paul Scruggs to nine points. I mean, that is what you want from RJ Cole. And it was so great to see because, by the way, he didn't start. He was benched for Jalen Gaffney because of just his general struggles. I, I guess, you know, Dan Hurley, if he wanted to send the message, it looks like he, he it got across because he was unbelievable. What do you think of RJ Cole on Saturday? That was without a doubt his best performance with this team. And it's a performance that we'll remember for a long time. Um, pretty amazing that he comes off the bench and he still manages to play 35 minutes because, you know, it was it was pretty quick when the game started that early. It was like, all right, well, we need you to get in there at least on the defensive end because we knew we know he's going to deliver defensively for the most part. Granted, this this team has struggled on that end of the floor a little bit the last few games, but you know, for him to step up and hit to deliver offensively the way he did, um, you know, that was fantastic. I think. Definitely the, the change in the tempo, the change in the way they played offensively probably helped him a bit because it didn't he didn't have to you know, he didn't have to slow things down, he didn't have to, you know, run through the sets when they actually run through sets. And it just the shots were falling for him. And when they're falling, just keep taking them. Would love to I mean, I the three pointer has been really inconsistent for him this year, so it's it's good that it was falling and we needed to keep falling. So that'll be you know, that'll be something to keep an eye on. I wish more shots would fall when he when he heads toward the rim when he gets inside the three point arc, because obviously it was two of seven from inside the arc. Um, but you know, love to see love when him and Jalen Gaffney and those guys all start driving to the hoop. They need to do more of that. Um, especially if, if Book Knight's gonna be out. Um, again against Providence we definitely need to see that again yeah it was incredible to see uh, you know I think during the broadcast I want to say uh, Donnie Marshall had a comment something to the effect of that UConn was playing mindless basketball which he, he was a co- <laughs> we meant that as a compliment where you're, yeah. instead of just overthinking it you're just you know playing you're you're doing your thing you're you know chucking the ball around this getting you know running your offense and you know it looked like it looked like RJ was wasn't overthinking it which has often not been the case you know, offensively for sure. The whole operation just looked much smoother. It was, they. I mean, hey, they scored 80 points for a reason. It's not like they did anything in particular crazy. Like, you know, you know, Tyler Polly didn't shoot like six threes in the second half like he did against Marquette. It was just solid overall offensive basketball, and we have not seen it from UConn. And well, certainly, I don't know. Have how much have we really seen it like at all? Like since when? Like the national championship year? Like they've never yeah, really exactly. been like a very smooth offensive team. So. No. Very, very encouraging to see. Uh, the defense isn't new, though. Um, RJ Cole is legit. I mean, this is starting to be a trend. You know, he held Paul Scruggs at nine points. You know, he had a, you know, a really good game against Marcus Zagorowski in the home game against Creighton. You know, he's he's stepped up. Um, and that's it's certainly that's great to see. I mean, obviously, it hasn't been every game necessarily, but it, it, having a, a lockdown guy on the guards like him is uh, it's going to be important. Um, it just. As far as that goes, do you see anything in his defensive game, either recently or just in general, that you, that stands out to you? Um, I mean, just the way that he's not afraid to step up to those big stars. Like, he wants to be the guy on, that's on Zagorowski, that's on Scruggs. 
Um, he's just been so fearless on the defensive end, it feels like. And, you know, it hasn't always translated to being effective on the other end of the floor, but a lot of these games that they've been in, especially, you know, you think back to the you think back to the Creighton game at home, like you mentioned when he when he did really well on Zagorowski. You know, we've really everyone's really hard on him after the missed free throws, and obviously, you know, those those free throws send it to overtime, and we don't we don't end up getting the win. But I I think I mentioned this after this game. He came down the other end, and he's really the reason that the game ended up going to overtime for two reasons: one, because of the missed free throws, but also because Creighton had a chance at the end of the game, and he just come on like after he missed the free throws, he comes barreling down the floor and ends up making the play that knocks the ball out of bounds and prevents them from getting an easy bucket. So he's just been outstanding for me on the defensive end all season, and it's a big reason why in you know in some of these games they've against Creighton, against Marquette, and against Xavier that they've really had the chance to go out and get the victory. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's so good to see because he's such a key part of this team. You know, you think of what the what the ideal UConn lineup is. And to be honest, we still haven't seen it this year. But, you know, yeah. this year and going forward, RJ Cole is in that starting lineup along with probably uh, Adama Sanogo, uh, Akuka Cook, James Booknight, and then I, I guess maybe, you know, take your pick, Tyrese Martin or, you know, whoever. Uh I mean, honest, Andre Jackson, maybe, I don't know. I mean, the, the crazy thing is like what I just suggested, like a lot of people could disagree. A lot of people could have their own thoughts, you know, maybe, you yeah. know, but either way, um, I do, I do think all of us can at least agree that a cook, a cook when healthy is in that lineup. And, uh, yes. wow. Um, he's, he's back. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, with, with some caveats, he, he played, t- uh, 10 minutes, uh, you know, back in the lineup after that shin injury. And he's obviously still, you know, not totally all the way back from the Achilles thing, but boy, was that an impactful 10 minutes or what? He was awesome on Saturday, you know, seven points, you know, three of four. He had that three, he had a, he had a block. It was, oh man, it was so good to see him back out there. Um, a cook, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you, what, what do you think to see him? I, I didn't expect anything from him this year at all. So what were you thinking when you saw him out there actually like kind of, you know, stunting on the, the Musketeers the other day? Yeah, I think that's a great way, a great thing you just said. Like, you didn't expect much from him this year. So, pretty much any time that he comes out and he does something productive, it's going to be an incredible feeling. Um, this felt like vintage of Cook a Cook when, you know, last season, you know, it took him a while to, to really get into the team. And obviously, then that got halted quickly by, by an injury. But he would have games where, you know, he wasn't out there for a long time, but he would make some key plays that would you know that would get everyone hyped up and then UConn would go on and you know take advantage of that and go out and get the win here he was again he comes in I at first like I didn't even notice it became it granted I was working so I was doing a couple different things at once but I wasn't really I when you know Hurley had been saying you know he's been limited you know don't expect him to don't expect to see much of him more or less for the rest of the season I was surprised when he came into the game and then he, he hits a three, you know, he's making contributions on the defensive. I guess the block obviously gets the, gets seven points total. And, you know, he's just all smiles as he's going down the floor. It's like, that's the, a cook. We know that's the, a cook we love. And, you know, we're going to enjoy the times we have this season. And then hopefully, you know, come next season, he's ready, good to go for, you know, for 25, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, whatever we need him to be the, you know, to be the big man. And, 
you know, it's just good to see him back in, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, he looked, I mean, he looked fluid. He seemed happy. He looked comfortable. And that's just the, the most important thing. Like, you know, when he played earlier this year, I, he didn't really feel that he was really himself, you know, and for obvious reasons. You know, he was coming off a, a devastating injury. And this is the first time you really actually seemed like he was, you know, a cook, a cook. And boy, was that that three? Was that like not the funniest thing you've ever seen? Like he, it's not like a cook. A cook is a good three point shooter. This should not be a surprise yeah. to anybody. But apparently, it was a surprise to Xavier because he got the ball and everyone just cleared out. Like whatever the opposite of gravity is a shooter is, he must have had like re- repulsor going on because everyone just was like, "All right, uh, he got the ball. Let's all clear out." And he just like kind of looks around. He's like, "All right," he just pulls up and drains it. And you could see like all the Xavier guys like, okay, well, yeah, shoot. <laughs> so, and it uh, it that reminded happened. me of when I first realized last season that a cook could shoot threes because I had already seen Polly start to throw them up and I was like, what are you doing? And then obviously he becomes, you know, taller Neil's Giffy and a cook starts putting him up and then I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. We have two six, nine guys who are just going to drill threes for us. And, uh, so I'm glad that Xavier got caught off guard because that was one of those moments that got everyone hyped. You know, even though, you know, there weren't any UConn fans in the building, you know, you can still feel that energy just being on Twitter and seeing what it meant to the guys on the bench, seeing it, what it meant to him, you know, coming down with that smile that's ear to ear. You know, that was one of those huge plays in the game, especially early on. Yeah, and I mean, a Cook's 10 minutes more or less coincided with the point where UConn went from being way down to basically coming back and first making it a game and then kind of taking control, you know, and that, that play was probably the biggest uh, moment in that. Like, and there were others too. He just, you know, we're not going to see him play much more than 10 minutes a game. Probably, you know, Hurley was asked about that actually tonight. And he said, it's largely a cardio issue. He just, just needs more time to build himself back up to that level. But yeah. look, if, if a cook can give you 10 minutes like that every game, I think most of us will, will be happy to take it. That would be, that would be pretty sweet. But, um, yeah. you know, the good news is that, you know, a cook doesn't really need to give him much more than that. If Isaiah Whaley's going to play like he did, um, yeah. you know, Whaley has struggled quietly the last month or so, but you know, he, he look, he's a player who's obviously come, come a long way from what he used to be, but you know, he's, he's, Maybe we our hopes that he was an all conference big maybe were a little bit overstated. I don't know if he's gonna be that. He's definitely hadn't played like that the last couple of weeks. But on Saturday he sure stepped up and was what they needed him to be. You know, he had twelve points, he had ten rebounds, four assists, five blocks, pretty good. Um you know, very efficient, nine for, uh, excuse me, uh, four for nine shooting. And he had a three, he had a three as well. And it was like the same thing where <laughs> Xavier was like, all right, well, this guy can't shoot. And then he knocks one down too. And they're like, oh my God, like what, what, like what's, what's going on here. And then obviously defensively, like, you know, we talked about Fremantle earlier, you know, he was kind of having his way with Sonogo uh, and it's just a bad matchup. And then, you know, they switched Whaley on him and, you know, he got his buckets, but there were a whole bunch of times where he just tried to post up against Whaley and Whaley was like, nah, get out. So five blocks, man, that was something. Yeah. Um, Especially after, you know, Sonogo had the five blocks the other day and then you like it, you get reminded that there are several UConn bigs who can go out and do that on any given night. Like that's such a big thing. And then his eight defensive rebounds also huge, you know, when you're trying to play faster, when you're trying to up the tempo, having that and then him being able to help you break out and 
you know, get the ball up the up the court fast. That was that was big time for UConn. And you know, he was he was the Isaiah Whaley the other night that we all love, the one that UConn needs him to be on any given night. And look, this past what, month and a half, this past month without, without James Booknight has been taxing on everyone. You know, this is this has been a very difficult time for every player on that team because, you know, it they all needed to step up and, you know, it, they all essentially needed to punch above their weight. You know, we know Isaiah Whaley is not a guy who was brought in here for Big East basketball a few years ago. That that wasn't the case. But, you know, he's been able to deliver. But all of these guys having to rise to the occasion without book night, it's taken a lot out of them. And, you know, some of them have just fallen into some ruts lately. And it's not helped by the COVID pauses. It's not helped by the fact that, you know, a cook has been inconsistently out with, you know, Jackson just coming back from injury. You know, him... Whaley, Polly, Martin, even Sonogo, they've all had their struggles in, in this past month. But it just, you know, thankfully it clicked for them the other day. And they, you know, they got things figured out. And we were able to see the best of Isaiah Whaley. We were able to see the best of Tyrese Martin. And, you know, this was, it was so massive for them to finally get out of that rut. Yeah, it must have been so big for him. And, uh, you know, let's, we should mention this, Adama Sonogo. I mean, maybe it wasn't super great guarding Fremantle, but he was great in pretty much doing everything else. Uh, just earned Big East Freshman of the Week honors, um, which is pretty cool. Um, so between, yeah, with the Xavier and the Providence game, I mean, he was by far their best player against Providence, too, we should mention. Yeah. You know, he averaged six and a half points and uh, eight rebounds. Uh, he had uh, two assists, three steals, and six blocks, uh, including the five against Providence. And just defensively, you know, he's, I mean, obviously he's got some work to do, but like he, he's not a liability there either. He's, you know, really just frankly seems, strikes me as like, is he their smoothest big man this past decade? Like, I'm trying to think of like, you know, who can just like, you know, who, who he'd be as comfortable with in the paint, like compared to him. He just, I don't know. What do you, I mean, does that make sense? Like he's, I, I can't remember the last time they had a big as good as him, I guess, like who, no, you're. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think if you're going back a decade, so that puts you around the, you know, that puts you back to like the the two national championship teams too. Where let's face it, the the bigs were, the bigs were serviceable, but they weren't, you know, they weren't near the best players on the team. You know, obviously in. 11, you had Oriaki, you had a Kwandu. I should probably um, mention, too, that Andre Drummond, I guess, would probably... Um, Drummond was definitely better than Adama, but... Oh, yeah. I, I don't think, also... Uh, Drummond at UConn was weird, too. Like, he was a, a dominant physical talent, but he wasn't really that, quote-unquote, good at UConn, if that makes sense. Like, he, no, he that wasn't... that was a weird year, too. Yeah, like, I guess when I say smooth, like, I almost think in the anti-Drummond, where Drummond was just a yeah. freak, but Adama, you can just tell, is just, just like a an excellent, you know, polished yeah. basketball player, uniquely so for a freshman. Drummond was... I think if you can qualify it. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, Drummond, you know, so I'm not comparing him in terms of talent. Drummond was clearly yeah. way more talented, but you, you, get, you get what I'm saying, so I'm sorry, go ahead. Not bad for a walk-on, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. No, I'm I'm struggling to come up with another big. Um, beside you could throw Drummond in there. I think if you can if you can qualify him as a big because he did play a lot of four in that championship season and you know but I, he was more of a wing. DeAndre Daniels is the closest thing that comes to mind. 
Like, I don't know, that might be crazy. But yeah, like, I, I mean, really that would else. be, that's like a technicality, though, because yeah, DeAndre, exactly. DeAndre exactly. was a wing. That just, that team just that, didn't have. played a lot of small ball that year. Yeah, I mean, your, 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 your centers that year were, uh, you know, Tyler Olander, Phil Nolan, and, uh, and Amita Brima. So, you know, that's how you get. You know him, and, and that's how you get. That's how you get DeAndre Daniels and Niels Giffey playing at the four, and occasionally <laughs> exactly. also the five. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Either way, uh, Sonogo's awesome. Um, you know what do you? You know he. I think his, he his develop. He's been the, the development he's showed all season has been one of the most encouraging things, and it also bums me out just knowing that if Andre Jackson is playing the whole season and doesn't get hurt, who knows where he'd be right now? But you know yeah. it, it certainly tells it's a good sign of things are going according to plan there. Um, Andre Jackson, we should mention got his first career start and uh, I mean, interesting performance. Uh, he, he um, only had five points, but he also had four rebounds and three assists and was, you know, super energetic, played some good defense. And it reminded me a lot of the season opener. I, I believe it was the game against central um, Connecticut where he kind of had the same thing where he only had like six points, but he had like five or four rebounds and assists and did a lot of the same things. Yeah. So other than his three point shooting, which he clearly needs to work on. It, it's so intriguing. I really can't wait to see what he do, can do when he starts to put it all together. Um, yeah. and obviously the dunks are just, oh, uh, they're just yeah. they're crazy. <laughs> we, any, we have any Andre Jackson thoughts while we're on uh, the subject? Uh, please stop shooting six threes a game, uh, would be the first one. I mean, obviously that's something that you want, you want him to polish up, but look, we, I think we all know that this is the guy who is brought in to be James Booknight when James Booknight inevitably leaves within a, within either a few months or a year. Um, I don't know if this injury is going to hinder his plans at all, but it won't. Um, no, absolutely not. He's going to be, he's going to see lottery pick potential. Yeah. That's wishful that. thinking on yours so, and everyone's part. He's gone. Oh I'm, oh, I'm not expecting him to be back next season. I, I just didn't want to say it definitively. And then people be like, Oh, well he, he's coming back. I will. Um, and he's not coming yeah. back. So you, all you yeah, people out yeah. there come at me, <laughs> okay, <laughs> leave Tim alone. Um, um, Andre Jackson's going to be the guy going forward and I want to we know what he's capable of and I say this about these guards like I know what he's capable of when he gets to the rim and we need Andre Jackson driving to the rim and you know we I will want to see more of that I want to see him taking more than one one attempt inside the three-point line a game um, if he can do that if he can start cutting to the rim if he can start you know just driving in making sensational buckets or getting fouled and getting to the line I think that's better than him chucking up threes all game. So if they if they continue to play fast, it fits him too because he's the kind of guy that you you see him on the floor and you're like, oh my gosh, if we can just like if we can get a fast break going here, get him down the get him down the hoop down the court, then you know we're gonna see a lot of fun highlight reel moments and he's gonna he's fully capable of it. So I just want to see more of that from him. Yeah, I think the uh, the the six three point attempts is just a product of a he's barely played this season. And B, he's just kind of getting a feel for things because the best version of Andre Jackson is not shooting six threes a game under any circumstances. The best version of Andre Jackson is a dude who's jumping through the jumping through the roof and just making people look just humiliating people. And we know that he's capable. So all we need all he needs is the time to get himself accustomed to playing at this level because he's hardly played this season, really. I mean, 
And that's what made the fact that he started that much more impressive. Because, like, on the court, like, you know, in like in games, what has Andre Jackson done to prove he deserves to start? Really not much, but... Obviously, he's making an impression in practice. You know, he, you know, Hurley made a comment that he was like becomes like, this great vocal leader, which is an awesome development. I mean, you know, oh, yes. I mean, you talk about who the most impactful players in UConn have been this season. Is he in the top seven? I'm not sure he is yet, but like, you know, if he's having that kind of impact behind the scenes, then it's boy, it's only it's only a matter of time, and it's it's going to be it's going to be something to see when he pops off. Uh, Cause clearly, yeah. I mean, the talent is just out of control. He's, he's going to be special. Um, yeah, the talent is definitely there. Like it's obvious that, you know, when, when all the pieces are there, he's probably only second to book night in talent. I think we, we've seen that in small, in small samplings this year, but you know, credit to Hurley for getting him in the lineup, getting Sonogo in the lineup because Sonogo was in that a situation earlier this year where, we were seeing five really good minutes and we were all just like, give me more, like feed me more Stenogo. And then he would disappear. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't play the last, you know, 12 minutes of the game where he could really have been a benefit. Um, and he's finally starting, we're starting to see more consistent minutes from him. And we're starting to see Hurley put more trust in him. And obviously those are going to be two guys, you know, we want to, we want to stay looking at this season, but you know, you got to think about the future too. Like, there, there are good players coming into this program, and Sonogo and Jackson are going to be the two guys that, along with RJ Cole, that you really rely on going forward. I was going to talk about this later, but I, I do think it bears mentioning that next year's lineup could include some combination of Sonogo, uh, Akuka Cook, Andre Jackson, uh, Jalen Gaffney, RJ Cole, Tyrese Martin, uh, Jordan Hawkins, uh, Rasul Diggins, and Samson Johnson. Um <laughs> Am I missing anybody? Like, just what? I, I don't think so. I mean, I guess, like, you know, Brendan Adams will be back too, I guess, but like. And then we'll all have our calendars that are counting down to when Corey Floyd steps on campus. Y- yes, yes. Oh my God, right, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, holy crap. What a, what a, that lineup has the potential. Oh man, yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit ahead of our, we're getting a little ahead yeah. of ourselves here, but like. <laughs> I guess if we, you know, if UConn is ends up being slightly disappointing down the stretch, that's just what we need to keep in mind. Like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Next year, you know, fans back at Gamble, this roster, and well, yeah, it's you know, you, you got some, you, it'll work. <laughs> um, but one more thing on this game, uh, Tyrese Martin gutted through injury, and he had a pretty nice game too. Uh, Fifteen points, nine rebounds. He went six for eleven. Uh, shooting well and some really nice drives to the basket. Uh, basically, Tyrese Martin has struggled to finish at the rim this season occasionally, and I, he figured it out on the other day. He was making some Euro steps and just doing some really nice moves. There was one I remember. I forget which play it was, but I literally gasped where he like cut and just like went right up and under and was in. And I was like, oh, okay, Tyrese is playing. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Any, any, just before we move on, any thoughts on him and just, you know, what, what he's able to contribute at the moment? Uh, for me, the best rebounder on the team. I think that's, uh, that's like, we didn't see it on the offensive end as much, but they also shot really well offensively. Um, but, you know, he was so strong going to the rim and the, you know, the ability to get those second chances and to see him starting to translate those into either buckets or chances to go to the foul line are is a massive progression. I mean, he's he's shown all season what he's capable of and when it all comes together, he is 
a huge, huge presence on this team and one of the most important players out on the floor. So to see him have the kind of game he did the other day, if he can keep that up going forward, that is a massive game changer for this team. No, absolutely. So um, so as I check my Twitter timeline and we do not have an update on Book Night, so we will continue to assume that we won't. Uh, UConn will not have him on a Tuesday night against Providence. So um, they announced today, or Hurley indicated today, that uh, UConn is probably not going to make up any of the remaining games that it uh, postponed. So that means that there's going to be six games left uh, down the stretch. So those are Providence against, uh, you know, Providence uh, on Tuesday night at number 10 Villanova on Saturday at Georgetown on the 23rd versus Marquette on the 27th at Seton Hall on March 3rd and versus Georgetown on March 6th. So uh, that means that UConn won't play Villanova, St. John's or Xavier uh, for their second games, which is unfortunate because those all three of those games would have been really great, um, would have been exciting, would have been great for UConn's resume. And, um, you know, it just would have been fun overall. So that's unfortunate. But, you know, you got Providence and you got Villanova, both huge games. So why don't we start with Providence? Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the rematch tonight? Um, no excuse to losing this game. If if you play the way you did against Xavier, there's no reason you shouldn't win by about the same margin that you lost by the other day. Look, like you said at the top of the show, Providence is a talented team, but it hasn't really translated, and they just got the better of a UConn team that looked like it just had no idea what was going on that night. Um, if... You know, if a cook's available for those 10 minutes, if these guys can deliver the way they did against Xavier, who is a much better team, a much tougher team to play against than Providence, then they should definitely get that win. I, I don't see any reason not to. Yeah, and how about... And obviously, if Book Knight's back, then, you know, yeah. different conversation. So, and then Esther Villanova, so obviously, Book Knight or no Book Knight makes a huge difference here. But, you know, Villanova, so it, we should clarify, it's at Villanova. So that's, you know, for whatever, to what extent home field advantage matters these days, you know, they're up to, they're going to be going to the best team in the conference and one of the best teams in the country. So here's a thought on Villanova. They're awesome. Great, great team. They aren't unbeatable. We know that because a worse version of UConn almost beat them on a much, you know, a much crazier road environment last year. Now, that was a really good game. And granted, they had book night, but just they, they weren't as good a team that season, obviously. And, you know, Villanova is coming off a rather decisive loss to Creighton. And we know that Creighton, UConn is competitive with Creighton, and they should have beat him at least once. And Villanova has also lost to St. John's, who UConn should have beat St. John's, but we're not, whatever, we're, we're not going to talk about that. So what do you, what do you think? I mean, if, if, you know, Book Knight doesn't play, that's going to be really tough. But if he does, what are your thoughts on the possible for that being a potential uh, signature win? I think there's definitely the chance. I don't get me wrong. I'm gonna go in saying that Villanova's gonna win that game. It'll be, it'll be close, like like that game last year. But man, there are some matchups that you really gotta like. If you know, we've seen what like we were just talking about what R.J. Cole's done against some of the best players in this league. R.J. Cole coming up against Colin Gillespie could be a huge matchup. Could ju- could be the decisive matchup in this game. He Gillespie didn't score in the first half last year against UConn. And that's when, you know, you went into halftime and you felt really good about what UConn was doing. And then obviously Gillespie starts scoring and Villanova asserts themselves. And you see why Villanova was a much better team than UConn last year. But if RJ Cole can shut him down the way he did against Zagorowski, the way he did against Scruggs, 
there's no telling what this team's going to be able to do. Obviously, that'll make it, you know, that'll make it that much harder on Villanova. Um, you know, getting Sonogo and Whaley up against Robinson Earl is another matchup that you gotta, you know, it'll obviously be a very difficult matchup. But two guys that you think on their day are capable, and you know, obviously, if you throw Book Knight in there, you know, that just changes everything too on the offensive end of the floor. This is a team that, you know, if they can make those stops defensively and then get out and, you know, push the tempo because Villanova is one of the few high major teams that plays at a slower pace than UConn. And if UConn decides to start, you know, trying to push the tempo and, you know, force teams to play faster, then, you know, that could definitely be to their benefit. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think that's going to be a fascinating game. And you know, uh, uh, this time next week, for all, it's entirely possible that maybe we could be talking about one of the signature wins of the Dan Hurley era, or it's possible yeah. that you know UConn will lose because, let's face it, Villanova is a, as co- currently constituted, they are better than UConn. But yes, <laughs> how much better remains to be seen. Because the crazy thing is, we really still, even with six games left in the regular season, we have no idea how good this UConn team really is. We just. It, it just we haven't seen it. There's the the personnel has not been there, so you know who knows. Maybe maybe we'll find out, and you know, it could work out that maybe we won't find out for sure until the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament or who knows. Yeah. It's if at all this season. I think there's a chance that we don't see. You know, we don't we don't know what UConn is at all the rest of the way. Well, you know what? If that turns out to be the case, then they are what they are, and what 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 yeah. they are will just be how far they get in those tournaments. And yeah, well let's said. be let's be clear. We it, we have no idea. It could be a, the tournament could be a disaster or it could be epic. Anything is on the table. I literally have no idea, and that's exciting because really, when was the last time we could say that? Because the last couple of years, it, for the most part, we've known in our hearts that it was not going to work. <laughs> so yeah, although we felt like we were going to really go on a run last March, and then you know that happened. You, you know, you know what? That's like- that's true, but. Yeah. God, who could have imagined that? Like this, yeah, just, 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 this is you're, you can't see this, but I'm gesturing wildly yeah. just in all directions. Like this, yeah. the current state of the, the world is remains. I started this podcast last March, and here we are, eleven months later, and we're we're still talking about this 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 friggin' pandemic. It's uh, yeah. well, does it feel like one of those years though that we've seen from UConn in the past? I mean. You know, I'm not saying that UConn's going to go win a national championship. I'm not, because I don't think that this team is capable of it, But at least as, as it's constituted now. But you know, doesn't it feel a little bit like 2014 where you know this team got slugged a couple times in the regular season? You, know, you think about those trips to Houston. You think about losing by 35 to Louisville you know, right before the conference tournament. And then something just like, you know, they switch it on and, this team goes on a run, and this is a this is a team that is capable of making a run. I mean, this this team, especially we keep saying it, dollar in the jar when Book Knight's back. This team, with what they've got, is capable of going on a run. So, it it's going to be so much fun to watch what this team does. You know, for better or worse, there's there's still a lot to play for, and there's still a lot of ways that this season can end. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That comparison of 2014 is interesting because that team had some signature wins. They had some like blue chip talent, and they got clobbered a few times. And this year's UConn team, I mean, I wouldn't say they really have really quite as many signature wins. I mean, I guess you know, you, you, 
I guess whatever your mileage on the USC and Xavier wins are, and I guess the Marquette one too, is they haven't gotten blown out. So we'll we'll just have to see it. It's it's a totally unique situation for a variety of reasons. So yeah, we will have to see, and we will start to find out this week. I mean, you know, this Providence game and that Villanova game are as big as it gets, and whether Book Knight's a part of it or not, you know, UConn's the, this is going to set the tone for the home stretch. Because, you know, down the stretch, you know, they, they got some winnable games, you know, after these two games. Then you have you have Marquette, you have Georgetown twice. U- UConn should win all three of those games for sure. Yeah. And then Seton Hall, I boy, that game is going to be fun. I can't yeah. wait for that game. Um, uh, you know, Book Knight better be back strength, by then. I don't then. see why, why they can't win that game Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, that's like how – that's like two, almost three weeks from now, so – yeah. If Book Knight's not back by then, you know, we, you know, then he, he's probably not coming back, and we got some problems. But either yeah. way, it's you know that's going to be fun. So um, why don't we shift gears? Uh, let's talk a little about, bit about the women's uh, team, who are uh, number one in the country again. Uh, we we should mention uh, they are officially number one again uh, the, today, as of the most recent AP poll, and that is in large part because of Paige Beckers, who is. Uh, I don't know how it's possible for a player with as much hype as she had to come into the season to somehow exceed that as much as she has. But, uh, wow. Paige Beckers is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) A truer sentence has never been spoken. Yeah. I mean, God, she was the first, the first like high school girl to ever be on the cover of slam magazine. And, you know, is like a genuine national phenomenon. Like she had like an entourage and like hype, people in high school like she was it was like it was like the Beatles like whenever she came to town in Minnesota like that's what she was and here she comes comes to UConn and now she is this absolutely blew me away the first UConn women's basketball player to ever score 30 points in three consecutive games which seems like that should not be the case but somehow it is and she put on what really I mean has to be considered one of the most incredible individual performances in UConn women's history. I mean, it's kind of almost wild to say that out loud, but how many times really has UConn women's basketball played exciting competitive games against other top teams? Usually they kind of just wreck people. So there aren't as many opportunities to have those iconic moments like Maya Moore, you know, Brianna Stewart, they had these great, great careers, but how many opportunities do they have to even, you know, have those big shots? They, they average like 30 point, you know, they, they, their, their teams won by 30 points a game practically throughout their careers. And here you have page is going up against number one, South Carolina, and she scores 31 points, including UConn's last 13, all nine of the, the points in overtime. And then that crazy game clinching three pointer that bounced four feet off the rim and dropped straight through. Wow. I mean, what more is there to say? I mean, this girl is crazy. What do you, I mean, just try to, I'm, you know, putting Paige Beckers in the words is impossible, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. What do you, what do you think of her? Uh, I mean, you just said everything so, so beautifully. And that three pointer against South Carolina that bounced up off the rim when it's up in the air and basically out of shot, you're like, Okay, well that's going in because Paige Becker shot it, so obviously it's going in. And it's ironic you say that because she'd missed like every three she shot before that practically. Yeah, <laughs> but to the point where like she's like it's funny because when she tries to pass the ball, it, it makes Gino mad 
just just shoot the ball. <laughs> like there's stories coming out of practice where she like or out of games where she's encouraging other people to take to take low percentage shots and it's just like making Gino pull his hair out. Um, look, this this girl is unbelievable. We've and we it's she's so unique in the history of Yukon women's basketball because obviously this is the most storied program in women's basketball in the country. The the most legendary players and but this is it's different because first of all, like you, you mentioned, you know, she is a phenomenon like we haven't really seen. Especially, you know, in this age of social media and this age where players are able to get themselves out there at such a young such a young age and you're able to hype them. I mean, we're hyping up you know, we just mentioned I mentioned Corey Floyd or earlier. We're still like two years away from him being on campus and we've known about him for so long. Um, she was truly a celebrity in Minnesota. I remember seeing her I remember paying attention to her senior night and it was like it she was signing autographs for like an hour or something like that after the game. Like all these all these kids coming up and just like begging for photo for photos and autographs. It was it was wild. She truly is already has like that superstar status, and she's unique in UConn history too, from the perspective that, you know, we talk about the great players that have come through here. You know, Brianna Stewart, Maya Moore, uh, Diana Tarazi, Sue Bird. You know, all Rebecca Lobo, all the players coming back. Lobo kind of the ex- exception because she was like the start of it, but you know, you look at the star players that have come in as freshmen. You know, they've all had all-American, star power, future WNBA great, Olympic gold medalist players in front of them. Like, they haven't, you know, the freshmen haven't had to carry the team ever. And I think even, like, a player like Brianna Stewart, who is in that conversation as the greatest player in UConn history, she really had a slow start to her freshman year, you know? She really didn't take off as the star of the team until the NCAA tournament, it feels like. You know, that's when she really got hot and then obviously torched Notre Dame in that semifinal after Notre Dame beat them three times during the regular season in the Big East tournament. Um, you know, they've, she, she is a freshman on a team of freshmen with, you know, a couple of, couple of upperclassmen who are, who are good. We, you know, Nelson Adota, Williams, and Westbrook are all really good players. But they're not that star power. They're not, you know, they're not all Americans who have national title experience and have, who have the experience in those big games of being just simply better than the other team because you know that hasn't been UConn's luxury the last few years. And she's stepping up in a way that is just unbelievable. Like I mean, she's. She's almost single-handedly the reason why UConn's number one. I mean, like I said, so many solid players on this team, but where are they without her doing the things that she does? And there's three more years of this, of this to come after this. I mean, we're, we're at the beginning of an unbelievable career that's going to that's gonna transcend college basketball and the WNBA, and you know she's going to be a global phenomenon when she goes on to win an Olympic gold. I mean, she is just... She is absolutely, you know, a legend in the making and we're witnessing the early days of that. And it's just so incredible to watch. Yeah. You know, you said, talked about how she was giving autographs for like an hour on her senior night. That sounds like a ridiculous thing to like, you know, why would you want us like a senior high school's autograph? Well, if you turn around and think about it, 
Well, in a couple of years when she's a hopefully a couple time national champion, you know, a WNBA star and an Olympic gold medalist. I don't know. Maybe that could be that could get you some that could go for a decent chunk of change on eBay. I don't know. It's it's possible You know, talk to the right collector, I guess. But, you know, yeah. it's it just goes to show you like, you know, she's everything that we thought she'd be. And and you know what? The team needs her to be like you talked yeah. about, like the um, uh, Alexa Philip, who from the Hartford Current had a good tweet on this, actually compared the her, her uh, minutes per game compared to some of the other legends in UConn history. She's she is averaging thirty six point six minutes per game. So she's like hardly ever comes off the court. And you compare that to Maya Moore, who had 29.6 minutes per game her freshman year. Diana Tarazi, 24 minutes per game on that 2002 team. And obviously, I mean, that's on the short list of one of the greatest college basketball teams ever assembled. So obviously she didn't need to necessarily be like what Paige is because she's playing with Sue Bird and all these other, you know, super, you know, elite athletes and stuff. And then, yeah, Brianna Stewart, 23.7 minutes per game her freshman year. And it's true. She, she was like, I remember thinking throughout her senior year, I was, you know, not to say like, you know, what was the high, what was the fuss all about? But like, she didn't exactly come across as a player. You're like, Oh wow, this player is about to like take over the basketball world. And then obviously, yeah, once the the NCAA tournament came around, that's exactly what happened. And then it was, it was over for everybody after that. She was, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, uh Oh, Uh, Brianna figured out how to play. We're all, what's the, the line from, um, from uh infinity war where you know bruce banner's just like oh you guys are screwed now (laughs) (laughs) thor's got stormbreaker you guys are done stewie's stewie's got a jump shot and confidence you're done yeah exactly Paige has the confidence she's got that shot so man um players from that list the only one who really had like a who really showed throughout her freshman year just how good she was and was gonna be was maya moore and even that was almost to a lesser extent because, you know, she had Tina Charles and Renee Montgomery. Shout out to like, Renee Montgomery, those... by the way, we should mention, just to announce her retirement. Awesome, awesome yeah. career, an awesome player. So Incredible career. Anyway, continue. And just another in those, you know, a player that you couldn't even put in the, the top five of all-time great UConn players and is still one of the most amazing players in women's basketball like that's just how good this program's been and that's why every like almost every freshman who's come in here has had the luxury you know going all the way back to you know Nikisha Sales had you know Rebecca Lobo, Kara Walters, Carrie Bascom who were at their time like the the incredible team that was gonna set the trend for for UConn going forward and all of these players since then you know she comes in with other really good freshmen you know Nika Mule has been great, Aaliyah Edwards has been awesome but you know, Avina Westbrook sat out last year and because of the transfer, should have been eligible, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. Um, she's really producing well this season. And, again, Nelson Adota and Kristen Williams. But, you know, again, there's, there was, there's no All-American, you know, championship experience star on this team. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily – it's not fallen to Beckers. It's just she's – stepped into that role because that's who she is and that's what she's capable of being. You know, she's not afraid of the moment as a freshman. She's not been afraid at all this season to step into that spot and be the superstar. And, you know, that's just, that's, that bodes so well for her and her career. It bodes well for UConn and it bodes really poorly for the rest of uh, the rest of the country because, you know, this has been a long stretch without a UConn national title. So, how much longer can it can it actually last? Well, I'll tell you this. This has some real 2013 vibes going on because 
that team, I don't think most of us really expected to win the national championship, but I think we knew that by 2014, it was, they were going to pretty, they were going to be really unstoppable by then. Next year's team, when Aziz Fudd and some of these other girls come in, I I don't know how anyone is going to beat them. There, it's going to be like you know, back to like the early to mid two thousands where they're just a, a like a wagon just rolling over everybody. Right. So like right. you know, if 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 South Carolina or Oregon or whoever wants to get them, I think they need to get them this year. And the the scary thing is, Paige is good enough where they could sneak in there and win another title. And then yeah. after that, I mean, you know, two or three in a row after that isn't totally on the table. So I think we've all had 2022 kind of circled on the calendar, you know, circled for us, but we can't rule it out this year. They've already got the, the air quotes, bad loss out of the way. You know, one of the things you like the recipe for a Yukon women's team that's about to get really hot and just rampage through everybody is when they get that game out of the way where they don't, it's, it looks like they just don't know how to lose a basketball game. And it feels like, you know, that reminds me of, like, it, I think it was around, you know, 2014. Um, you know, they, they had just had, I think it was two straight perfect seasons. And then they lost to Stanford. And it was when they had that weird last possession where I think it was, um, was it KML who came up and had the ball and just, like, looked like no one had any idea what was going on. I might be mixing up who it was, but yeah, I think uh, you know the thing is like I don't remember exactly which game you're talking about, but that pretty much describes all their losses during that stretch of time. Like the one yeah. that stands out to me was the end of the Big East tournament against Notre Dame in 2013, where they right. like literally like it, it honestly looked like the Monstars stole their talent and gave it to Notre Dame because like the last like you know two minutes of that game was just an, an was like shocking to watch. And then look what happened right afterwards. It was, you know, they you don't lose to a team four times in a season. Yeah, you just don't do it. Exactly. So as soon as I saw that they were in the same, uh, on the same side of the bracket as Notre Dame going toward the final four, I was like, all right, well, you know, Stewie's getting hot and you don't, you don't lose four times. So here comes that, uh, here comes that win over Notre Dame. And then you get through Notre Dame and, you know, it was always, it was always, I think that year, like Louisville and, Cal was a bit of bit of a surprise, but you knew that they could beat Louisville no problem. And sure enough, they beat them no problem in the championship game. It was over by halftime. It was a fun first championship game for me to be at. But yeah, that that Arkansas game earlier this earlier this month, they just you know they looked like a team that had no idea how to come back and win a tight game like that. And I think if they win that Arkansas game, it, like if they if they control that Arkansas game start to finish. I don't know if they beat South Carolina. I think the fact that they they had that loss in at Arkansas and were able to figure out, you know, this is what we did wrong. You know, we don't want to lose like that again. You know, UConn, UConn doesn't do well with losing, and we've seen that in the fact that they've never – they haven't lost back-to-back since I was in diapers. And um, they, they clearly showed against South Carolina that they are capable of – winning those tight games, which I don't think they necessarily were a, a week or two before that. So that was a huge moment in the season. And now, you know, they can come up against, you know, some of these, some of these heavy hitters in women's basketball. And now they've got that experience. And obviously they have the player that everyone's going to have their eyes on. So 
these other players, you know, they're they're developing behind her. It's just not as obvious because you know she's doing what she's doing, and you know, like Gino just said today or yesterday, I think, you know, he doesn't feel, he never feels uncomfortable now when Aaliyah Edwards is on the court. She has been outstanding in in the games that I've seen. Admittedly, I haven't watched every game, but she's been really fun to watch too. So, you know, this team can, I still, I don't, I'm not convinced that they're going to go win it this year, but I'm not going to be surprised if they do because they've got, they've got the players who are capable of winning those games. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, one quick note on Paige before we uh, wrap this up. Uh, she today became the fourth player in Big East history uh, to actually. She, she actually she did this last week. She became the fourth player in Big East history to sweep both the uh, Big East Player of the Week and Freshman of the Week honors. And this week she did that again. So uh, she's the first player in the conference's history to uh, do that multiple times to sweep the awards. So. That is a that should pretty much just tell you all you need to know about where, where she ranks kind of as a <laughs> freshman and not just UConn, but just the Big East in general overall over the course of the last 40 or 50 years or whatever. Um, and yeah, so for whatever it's worth, uh, that was her eighth time being named Big East Freshman of the Week, which I'm assuming is all the weeks they've had because I don't know who else would have won. But that is a, you know, shout out to Paige for that. Good for her. Um and yeah, so, you know, UConn women's basketball, number one in the AP poll is the, they have now been ranked number one, at least one week in 22 of the last 27 seasons for a total of 246 weeks, which if you do your math equals about 4.7 years of just being number one. So, uh, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, so <laughs> only 22 of 27 years, man. Hashtag fire Gino. I know. Seriously. Do you see, <laughs> you see that, that video of him at practice? Uh, Kristen Williams, uh, did a Snapchat of it. Uh, he, he's, uh, let's just say he, he's, a he's, he's going old school, uh, with the, the old Yukon Jersey and the old, uh, you know, old guy on the Philly court kind of vibe today. So oh my gosh. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> clearly having some fun out there oh man anyway oh, what a guy tim what do you uh <laughs> before we wrap this up i guess any last thoughts on the men the women just yukon in general what, what are we thinking uh it's gonna be an interesting few weeks that's for sure so you know hopefully book night comes back hopefully the women keep rolling and we could have a couple of uh interesting post seasons to look forward to i sure hope so and uh by the way it, we are less than four weeks from selection sunday so it's on game time anyway we'll uh we'll leave it there so uh thank you guys all for listening and tim thank you again for for coming back we will be back next week with hopefully some more good news good stuff to discuss we hope the return of james book night we hope some big wins over providence and villanova we hope some more good stuff from Paige, who we assume will continue to wreck people in the big east and uh and if those things don't happen then we'll be sad and we'll complain about it so you guys all be good. Uh, you know the drill. Follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. DMs are open, and you can reach us by email at yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, leave five-star reviews to help us uh, in the search results on the Apple Podcasts. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, call it a day, and you guys all have a good one.